And now, Spotlight Montana with Laurel Staples. And welcome to Spotlight Montana. In this segment, we're focusing on a developing story, a very serious situation overseas following the missile attack at bases in Iraq, housing U.S. troops. And this after a top Iranian commander was killed in an American drone strike near Baghdad. My guest today to talk about what's happening is University of Montana history professor Mirdad Kia, born and raised in Iran. Yes. Thank you for coming and oh. welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's an honor to be here with you. Okay. First and foremost, you have family and friends over there. I'm sure you've been on the phone uh, or the computer communicating with them. What are you hearing from them and are they okay? I think the overwhelming majority of Iranians are uh, uh, very worried and anxious about this situation. Uh, we have to start from just some basic facts, I think, that Iran has a very large population, about 85 million. And the overwhelming majority of uh, Iranians, in sharp contrast to some of the images we see, um, have opposed this regime in Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2009, in uh, 2017 and 2018, and again in November of 2019, they came to streets in large numbers, uh, protesting against corruption, against nepotism, against the uh, high prices, it's massive inflation, but also for democracy and uh, human rights in Iran. Mm -hmm. And the response from this regime, unfortunately, was repression. Uh, in uh, November 2019, um, alone, in matter of three days, uh, the regime which had kicked out the foreign media from Iran, uh, basically embarked on what can only be described as a massacre uh, killing roughly 1,500 Iranians. Mm. And when uh, the parents went to claim the body of their loved ones, uh, they were delayed. Some of them have never re uh, received the bodies of How their horrible. sons and daughters and sisters and brothers and husbands and wives. And in some cases, uh, they were jailed. And as we speak, or you have the situation that a lot of these parents who lost their loved ones are still in jail. Now, that's in November of 2019. Uh, Qasem Soleimani is assassinated, as you mentioned correctly, in Baghdad. Um, he is the second strongest man in Iranian political and military establishment. And the regime finds this a golden opportunity to turn the table around. Immediately invites the foreign media back, mm -hmm. organizes all its supporters, and they have some support. They have support among the army, the revolutionary guards, the elite forces loyal to the regime, intelligence forces, government officials, and some dependents and some relatives of all these people, which is several million people inside Iran. So they mobilized all these forces, brought them to a funeral, which took several days and $50 million, wow. uh, taking the body from a city in southwestern Iran, uh, Ahvaz, to Tehran, then to Qom, which is a holy city two hours south of Tehran, then to Mashhad in northeastern Iran, and finally, as we saw, to Kerman, uh, Qasem Soleimani's birthplace, uh, where in the mayhem that uh, was caused because of the overcrowding of streets, some 59 people were killed. Uh, so the regime has tried to use the death of Soleimani to turn the table 
on the opposition inside and outside Iran, but also on the people of Iran who oppose the regime. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, at the end there, your father served time in jail. Yes. Tell me about that. Uh, my father was the president of the Iranian Academy um, under the previous regime. Uh, he was a professor of, uh, uh, of philology, which is a mixture of philosophy, linguistics, and history. And um, he was actually approached by the new regime and asked if he would collaborate mm -hmm. uh, with the Khomeini regime after the revolution. Uh, my father refused mm -hmm. and he was detained and he was put in jail and uh, for several weeks uh, neither my mother nor my brother nor myself nor the family at large knew where he was kept. We found out uh, later when uh, he was temporarily released uh, that uh, they would bring him out and they would set fire on his books and articles. Uh, and uh, then uh, he was mock executed. They would uh, wake him up around 3.30, 4 o'clock, and uh, they, were, they, they would tell him that tonight would be the last night of his life. They would put him by a wall and they would fire uh, next to his ear so he would faint uh, automatically realizing that it's over and then he would wake up back in his cell. Uh, this is the kind of thing they did I'm to so numerous prisoners and for 13 years we tried to bring him to this country uh, of course together with my mother um, and it was only and only because of his refusal to collaborate with a regime that he considered to be undemocratic, repressive, uh, against the rights of Iranian women, against the rights, the basic human rights of his own people. Uh, he considered himself an Iranian patriot. Mm -hmm. And he did not want to also collaborate with the regime which seized U.S. embassy illegally and held American diplomats as hostage for 444 days. He told me later when mm -hmm. We finally brought them to beautiful Missoula, Montana, mm -hmm. and what a blessing that was. Uh, he told me, he said, how could I put myself, my career and my reputation and my education at the service of a regime which was terrorizing its own people, but also the region, and uh, violating all the basic rules and laws of international law. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad to, to know that he's safe and, and survived that. Yes. Um, right now, what we are hearing, getting back to more the, the current situation here, is that there was a press conference today and uh, the White House coming out saying that Iran appears to be backing down. Standing down. Standing down. Yeah. Standing down. You watched that press conference. Yes. Your response to that and what else did you take away from that? I was actually relieved by the very uh, cautious response from the White House uh, that, uh, yes, Iran fired rockets against two bases in Iraq, which actually are Iraqi, not American, mm -hmm. and they host not only um, American personnel, military personnel, but they also uh, host personnel from various countries, for example, Australia. And um, no one uh, was injured, no one was killed. Mm -hmm. uh, that is always good news. And that allowed Iran to claim that it had responded to the death of Qasem Soleimani 
but it also allowed the United States to say, well, there are no casualties, there are no injuries, uh, no one among our military personnel has been injured or killed. Therefore, we consider this as Iran saying, tit for tat, mm -hmm. for now it's over. Uh, let's stop any further military escalation. That is always good news because, uh, first of all, we don't want more U.S. military personnel to be sent to the Middle East region. Uh, we also do not want a face-to-face -face military confrontation with Iran. Very large country, almost the size of several European countries combined, uh, and, of course, a very mountainous, rugged, and difficult country to operate in. But also, why should we have any military operation inside a country where the majority of the people are pro-US and they want democracy and basic human rights? I think the strategy, which I heard from President Trump, is uh, increasing the sanctions, so economic pressures on Iran, and calling on our European allies to join us in imposing these sanctions in a more severe and tight fashion. How do you feel uh, about that? And I, th I, I think that one of the problems which unfortunately um, the popular media has not covered, and I'm happy we are doing this here, is that um, one of the issues we have is United Kingdom, uh, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, they have billions of dollars invested in Iranian economy. Mm. They also put a great deal of uh, their energy and their investment behind the nuclear deal, which the Obama administration signed with the Iranian government. They want to go back to that old nuclear deal and restart their economic ties with Iran because there's quite a bit of profit in uh, having French, German, British, Italian, Spanish companies uh, making money inside Iran. We have a very different view of the situation. We believe that Iran has to change its behavior. It has to moderate and democratize or liberalize its political system before we can deal with it financially and economically. And of course, the Iranian regime has refused to do that. I think the European allies, especially the British, are coming behind the United States but very slowly and with great deal of hesitation. But I hope that in the coming days and weeks that would happen. Well, the feeling out there was that this, um, the, the attack brought us really close to war. Yep. Do you think it will stay at this status right now or will it continue to escalate? Iran will do everything in its power to avoid a face-to-face -face military confrontation. Okay. I think in Washington, there is also, and in Pentagon, there is an understanding that a land war, you know, that is United States landing troops and attacking, is completely out of question right now. Mm -hmm. uh, 85 million large country, uh, Tehran, the capital city, uh, over 14 million with all its suburbs, it still doesn't have a map for the, for the population inside Tehran. How can we go and not get bogged down? So that, I think, is out. Uh, the Iranian regime is also mortified with the face-to-face -face confrontation because what keeps this regime in power, it's its military and intelligence uh, forces. And if there is an open confrontation with the United States, the United States can destroy military installations, barracks, 
and it, the regime will have nothing to rely on mm. to stay in power. So for the survival of the regime, I think the leadership in Tehran has decided to f for the time to bring down the temperature. But do not be surprised if Iran will wage attacks through its proxies. Okay. Iran has numerous proxies, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas in Gaza Strip. Uh, they even have some contacts behind the scenes with Taliban in Afghanistan. So they can still cause a lot of problems and then claim that they had nothing to do with it. It's these organizations. But all of them are receiving some kind of money, arms, and training from the regime in Tehran. So don't be surprised if those proxy attacks start now mm. in, instead of direct confrontation with the United States. Do you feel that President Trump did the right thing in authorizing the killing of one of their top commanders? Um, I have never uh, favored killing anyone and I've always stood for negotiations, mm -hmm. diplomatic negotiations as the first, second, third option uh, before we take military action. But with regard to a regime like Iran, you can never take off the military option from the table. And Qasem Soleimani is far from being an angel. Uh, Qasem Soleimani is responsible, and in fact, he was one of the architects of repression inside Iran. His hands are stained with the blood of tens of thousands of Iranians. He was also responsible for the campaign against the United States and its military personnel in Iraq. Uh, we lost somewhere around six to 700 US military personnel in Iraq because of Qasem Soleimani. Mm. But aside from this, Laura, the, the, the issue that people tend to forget, this is the man who actually flew to Moscow and visited uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, the leader of Russia, yes. to convince him that Russia needs to come and back the Assad regime in Syria, which was about to collapse. So Soleimani's forces, the Quds forces, as they are called, they are the elite forces within the Iranian uh, military intelligence units, together with the Russians in the air, they basically are responsible for preserving Mr. Assad in power in Syria, and for the death of hundreds of thousands of Syrians on the ground. So is anybody shedding tears outside the government of Iran and its supporters among average Iranians? Of course not, because mm -hmm. they know what kind of killer and terrorist he was. Well, as we get close to wrapping up here, any misperception, misperceptions out there? Yeah. You know, what does the public need to know? Your main message. Yeah. One, first and foremost, we always equate the entire Middle East region with the Arab world. It's very important for us to use this opportunity to educate ourselves. And for, to begin with, Iran is not an Arab country. Uh, the official language is Persian, um, though the majority of people are followers of Islam. Iranians have always been very diverse religiously. There is a very large Jewish population in Iran a Christian population, a Zoroastrian population, a Baha'i population, and many agnostic and atheist Iranians. So it's not a monolith. The second uh, issue that we need to uh, consider, and this is very important, is that the media in the last few days has basically portrayed this as Iranians versus Americans. Sure. Uh, the reality is the Iranian population is very diverse. 
and as I have tried to sort of convey this here, uh, majority of them, there is a clear majority which wants to end uh, hostilities with the United States. They want probably to remove this government from power and restore it with a government which will adopt a normal foreign policy. We should always remember that Iran was one of the closest allies of the United States in the region until the revolution of 1979. And many Iranians would like to go back to the days when Iran was a close ally of the West. Uh, right now, Iran's closest allies are China and Russia, Syria, you know, these bad players, basically. Iranians want to re-enter the real world on the side of the West. And that's the majority of people that I talk to. They are very clear on that. Okay. And you mentioned that, that diversity. Um, you yourself, when growing up, um, in diversity, whether it's religious, the culture, all of that, and uh, you attended private Catholic school. Yes. What was it like growing up for you well, there? And, and first of all, I know uh, the images of Iran is always these crowds shouting uh, anti-American slogans, the Iran that I know. Uh, especially we spend a great deal of time in the area of northern Iran, which is south of the Caspian Sea, the largest lake in the world. It's lush, green, um, wildlife. And as you mentioned correctly, um, I had the honor of attending a Catholic school uh, with a lot of uh, Irish and Italian uh, priests and teachers. I owe them a great deal for a wonderful education they gave me, including uh, teaching me how to play soccer. <laughs> and, I love it. Uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so um, that's the part of Iran that, of course, uh, very few people see. But it is a country of incredible potentials. You know, one thing I always share with my listeners is that, uh, that um, you have a population which uh, is now producing 57% of university graduates are women. This is not Saudi Arabia. This is not Kuwait. This is a country which is moving and changing rapidly. And these are women who are dentists, doctors, professionals, professors, nurses. It is an ever-changing society, but it's moving in the direction that the government is very afraid of. Mm -hmm. And these educated women want equal rights with men. They want to be part of their society. And that's a very important aspect of Iran that I saw starting in 1960s and 70s when I would visit the country, but it has continued and accelerated more recently. Well, today you've certainly given us a, a far better mm -hmm. understanding Thanks. of the situation there, but also what the country really is like. Thank uh, you very much yeah. for the opportunity. Yes. And it's a great, again, privilege to be here with yeah. you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this podcast. And now, Spotlight Montana with Laurel Staples.